Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome again to the Giants Beat Podcast. This is the week seven review of the New York Giants matchup with the LA Rams. We're just going to get right into it. We've got a half hour as always. The Giants beat the Rams 17-10 back on Sunday morning in London at Twickenham Stadium. They now improve to 4-3. and three. And looking at the NFC East, they are tied for third in, in the, the division Excuse me, with the Washington Redskins. As always, also on the show, Justin Whitmont is with me. Scott Thompson here with you. And Justin, let's talk about the secondary first, because we're going to talk about what went right with this Giants team. Four INTs. Two are going to Dominic Rodgers Cromarty. Two of them and a pick six go to Landon Collins. What happened that enabled the secondary to play the way they did on Sunday? Well, not to discredit the Giants, but you've got to start out with the fact that Case Keenum was the opposing quarter, quarterback. And, I mean, you've got to start there, especially with the wide receivers that the Rams have. Tavon Austin, a solid player. Kenny Britt, okay, but definitely not the – the receiving duo that a team wants and definitely a below average receiving duo. So the Giants definitely had an advantage heading into this game, like we said last week. But from the standpoint of the Giants defense, um, the pass rush really got going and Case Keenum was under a ton of pressure and it looked that it looked like he was he felt like he had to force the ball on a majority of the plays and mm-hmm. you look at that game ending interception that he threw and you got to ask who was that going to and you look at the pocket collapse and he kind of just lobbed one up there and it ends up right in the hands of DRC so yeah the Rams made it easy for this Giants team but like I said the pass rush making Case Keenum throw the ball then you've got these talented guys in the secondary Landon Collins Dominique Rogers Cromartie Janoris Jenkins I can go on with the depth but when you combine those two things, it's a recipe for disaster for an opposing team. Now, let's talk about these, these, these cornerbacks. We haven't really, you know, highlighted everyone else. I mean, we talked about DRC a little bit, talked about Landon Collins, but Janoris Jenkins had an absolute great game. Eli Apple and even Leon Hall, Trevin Wade, and the newest pickup, Cody Sansenbaugh. I mean, give us a bit of a player re- review, Justin, if you could, of each one of these guys in general in the season. Not necessarily, not necessarily based on last game, because obviously most players highlighted was DRC and Landon Collins. But give us a sort of a synopsis of e- each of these players, because they've really stepped up in these past couple of weeks. So we'll start with Janoris Jenkins. He's the Giants' number one cornerback, and that was actually surprising news. Dominique Rodgers-Cromartie playing at such a high level last year, making the Pro Bowl, and then the Giants signed Janoris Jenkins, and they make him the number one cornerback over DRC. So a lot of surprise there. I thought the Giants were making a mistake, but now we're seeing why the Giants did that. And it's really impressive, to me at least, that the Giants were able to see that out of Janoris Jenkins, that he had that potential to be a number one cornerback. You look at his time in L.A., he was the number two with Tremaine, Tremaine Johnson on the other side, and the Giants pick him up, and they see, they saw it within him, what we're seeing now, and he's playing like one of the top cornerbacks in the league. Jeff Fisher even said that he's the top cornerback in the league. I won't go there right now, but he's playing great. He has stepped mm-hmm. up. He's got three interceptions, I believe, on the year, 
And then you add DRC, like I said, who he's towards the back end of his career, 30, 31 years old, but he's occupying the nickel. And that was a big concern heading into the season. You know, you draft Eli Apple, and DRC has always been an outside cornerback, and Janoris Jenkins an outside cornerback, Eli Apple an outside cornerback. And the question wasn't the depth this group had, but it was who was going to play the nickel. And the Giants said they're going to try things out. And the last player I thought would be the nickel cornerback was DRC. But what do you know? He's the guy there, and he's playing up to the level that the Giants could ask him to play at. And then, like I said, Eli Apple, the Giants go and draft. A lot of skepticism there. But he's battled injuries. And when he's been on the field, he's playing well, better than anyone expected him to. That's safe to say. Uh, and then you add the depth, like you said, Leon Hall, Trevin Wade, Cody Sensabaugh. It's a very deep group. It's, in my opinion, the deepest and the most talented group on this Giants team. And as long as this pass rush can keep going, they're going to really show how good they truly are. Well, they're now 10th in points per game, which was obviously a big concern Last year, they were 30th in points per game at the end of the year. And also, big thing to highlight, third in the league in red zone efficiency. So, obviously, these cornerbacks, these safeties, they know exactly what they need to do to get the job done and at least let up, at most, a field goal. And they have been doing that a lot all season long. Let's talk a little bit more about Janoris Jenkins because he continues to be a pass-deflecting, pass-tipping, whatever you want to call it, machine. He had Kenny Britt on clamps the entire game Sunday. You could see it the entire time. He was shadowing his every move. And, you know, he just continues to do this every single week, no matter who he's matched up with. Obviously facing his former team, he didn't get any of those four interceptions. But, Justin, he has to be happy with how he performed in front of his former team and his former coach. Absolutely. Three pass deflections. You were saying he's got – he's the guy when it comes to pass deflections, and that's absolutely true. I remember watching him against the Ravens, and it seemed like every ball thrown to him, he was just knocking away. And like you said, no interceptions, but he's got, I think I think it was three interceptions on the year. And you mentioned the fact that he was on Kenny Britt the whole game. He only allowed 43 yards to Britt on eight targets. So definitely playing shutdown cornerback level daring other quarterbacks. Kenny Britt had the least targets out of their four top receiving weapons, so it's definitely showing that Janora Jenkins is having a huge impact, and I would, I think it's safe to say the biggest impact of the Giants' defense. So you would, right now, you would obviously call Janora Jenkins best corner on the team, hands down? I, de- I would, definitely. Yeah, I I would absolutely have to agree with you, not only because you know, he has been, you know, living up to that contract that he's getting. He's knocking down passes. Like you said, he has three interceptions, but he's also staying on the field constantly. DRC and Apple have been battling a couple of injuries, and they have been working out well. They obviously want to get on the field. You see that they are playing not 100%, but Norris Jenkins is 100%. He's healthy. He's out there, and he's making an impact. So I'm absolutely going to have to agree with you and say that, you know, the guy that, that they paid, 
over $50 million in the offseason, well worth it right now because he's the best corner on the team. Giants Beat Podcast here moving along on what went right. Justin, you brought up the defensive line, and I said in the preview, if this was the week to do something, the defensive line needed to prove it, and they did much, much better Sunday morning constantly getting pressure on Case Keenum. They did a great job of forcing, actually, a couple of those interceptions as well, if you want to look back at the, at the tape. So, Justin, let's talk about the defensive line as a unit in terms of both the pass rush and the run defense. Yeah, so we'll start out with the pass rush. And a stat that I just saw a few hours ago, which I did not realize, is that both uh, Jason Pierre-Paul and Olivier Vernon are top five in the NFL in quarterback hurries, which I would never really? have believed. I would never have believed that. But And at the end of the day, sacks are what you're looking for with these two. And a hurry isn't half as, what, half as worthy of a sack. But when, you, when it's, you're seeing that these two guys are beating the guys blocking them and getting to the quarterback, it's just a matter of bringing them down and getting to the quarterback in enough time. And you see it. You saw it against the Rams. They're, it's so much better than it was in the beginning of the season. There was no pass rush, even against the Packers a few weeks ago. You saw Aaron Rodgers standing in the pocket for 9, 10, 11 seconds, and it's impossible to win games, let alone when you're playing Aaron Rodgers. But regardless of who you're playing, it's impossible to win games when quarterbacks have all the time in the world to find their weapons. And just to credit the secondary one more time, the reason that the Giants have won games is – as bad as this pass rush has been, the secondary has found a way to cover their guys. And that's why I feel this secondary is one of the most underrated units in the NFL, not just on the Giants, in the NFL as a whole. It, it's hard to explain how hard it is for a cornerback to cover a receiver when a quarterback like the likes of Aaron Rodgers, like I said, is in the pocket for literally 10-plus seconds. And Mm -hmm. you just have to imagine how good this defense will be when the pass rush and further. Yeah, and and that's why, obviously, you hear defensive coordinators constantly say that we have to work as a unit. There is give and take. You know, if the defensive line, like you said, is leaving the quarterback tons of time to work and have the receivers get open, it hurts the secondary. And vice versa, you know, if the defensive line is putting up pressure but the secondary isn't, you know, sticking to their guys and allowing the quarterback to get the ball off early, it doesn't work out for them. But we saw the exact opposite. We saw them working as a unit on Sunday. And I'm actually very surprised that you did say that. I did not know that they were top five in quarterback hurries. Obviously, you want to put pressure on the quarterback. You want to make them scramble out of the pocket and not feel comfortable. And like you said, the past couple of weeks, we haven't really seen it, but I guess that's one of those underlying stats. Looking at the stats on Sunday, though, three sacks to the Giants. One, it's Damon Harrison snacks his first sack as a New York Giant. And then you have Jay Bromley, Kerry Wynn, and Jason Pierre-Paul each got half a sack, so three total sacks on Case Keenum. But what we cannot look, I should say, is the linebacker play between Jonathan Casillas, Devon Kennard, Justin, how about these linebackers? This was a group that many fans were concerned about heading into the season because you had no clue who was going to, you know, obviously Kennard and Casillas were what was going to be there, but we didn't know any sort of depth. The Giants bringing Keenan Robinson, Kelvin Shepard, and they've been doing a pretty solid job overall, don't you think? 
there's the guy I was waiting for you to mention, Keenan Robinson. He was a Redskin for a little bit. The Giants, he's definitely a familiar face. Two guys on the Giants. And the Giants signed him, and I remember many fans, many analysts were saying that with how bad the linebackers were last year, for them to go out and sign Keenan Robinson as their biggest linebacking, linebacker signing, I should say, is ridiculous. But now the Giants should respond to those, those critics and say, how's it looked so far? Because Keenan Robinson has stepped in to this Giants defense, and in pass coverage, he's been solid. Against the run, he's been well above average, and he's just a great presence on the line of scrimmage, along with guys like Casillas, guys like Kelvin Shepard, guys like Devon Kennard. These guys are contributing to this pass rush to an extent that is hard to explain. And you see it how, like I said, for the first four, five, six games, no pass rush, and then Steve Spagnuolo decides to bring guys down from that linebacker unit. Landon Collins in the secondary, even some cornerbacks go in and they're blitzing with their corners. And it changes this pass rush. You go from having four guys, including Damon Harrison and Jonathan Hankins, who are there to stop the run, to now six, seven guys rushing the quarterback. And it makes all the difference in the world. As far as this linebacking unit as a whole, I think it's exceeded its expectations beyond belief. It has definitely played its best compared to the expectations among any group on the Giants, there was the bar was set so low for these guys because, like I said, they didn't really change all that much. They brought in Shepard. Mm-hmm. They brought in Keenan Robinson. And another thing you got to mention when talking about this linebackers unit is the fact that Jonathan Casillas has stepped up into this role as captain. He's the leader of this defense, and he is playing at such a high level when last year – it was he had a tough time staying on the field with injuries, but even when he was on the field, he wasn't really a guy you were talking about. And that's what I actually want to go into. Jonathan Casillas now the defensive captain on the team. You thought he was going to be, you know, a journeyman player bouncing from team to team, not really knowing his role. You know, with the Saints, he was a special teams guy. He went to the Bucks, went to the Patriots for a year, and then in 2015, last year, he goes to the Giants, and like you said. He, he had a couple of injuries, but he did play in 15 games, had 88 tackles. Looking at this year right now, starting seven games, playing all of them, he has 56 combined tackles already. I mean, talk about Jonathan Casillas and how much of an impact he has already made this season when basically Giants fans didn't even know who he was last year. Yeah, like I said, named captain of this defense, that was one of the biggest surprises of the offseason. I can't say – one expected him to be named captain, but as far as a, a playing standpoint goes, he's just he, he's all over the field. Like you said, 56 tackles, you said? 56 tackles, yes. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's amazing how someone who, like you said, wasn't even known among a lot of Giants fans last year, comes in, records 56 tackles, seven games, and on top of that, like I said, he's the captain of this defense. He's in charge of getting these guys together. He, he he takes the blame when this unit is out of sync. So he's taken on a huge role, and he has stepped up to the expectation. So now let's talk about what went wrong. And clearly we're looking at, at our script right now. There's just a big, bold offense. And I think that is perfect way to put it because we had just seen this Giants offense play an unbelievable game 
against the Baltimore Ravens. They go to London, and it looks like they just completely forgot what their offensive scheme was, who was on the field, where to go. And we're going to try to break it down for you guys right now. We're going to start at the helm, at the quarterback position. Eli Manning having an atrocious game. He's held to under 200 yards, no touchdowns yet again. Justin, I mean, what is wrong with Eli? He just didn't have anywhere near the game you would have expected him to have against the the Rams at all. Yeah, uh, Eli, he really seemed to just not have this offense under control. I just used the word in sync for the defense and Jonathan Casillas, but now I'm going to use it for the offense. He, It's his job to be, have the offense in sync, and in sync they were not. Uh, throws, he some of his throws were behind receivers. Some of his throws were just uh, – it seemed like he was just out of sync with his receivers all day. Balls floating over the heads of whoever, Shepard, Cruz, and it just – all of it contributes to him having less than 200 yards, like you said, and no touchdowns. It's really just a horrible day overall, and I think the pass protection definitely wasn't as good as it should have been, which – definitely was one of the reasons why Eli had such a bad game. But it wasn't that bad where I would say, okay, now I see why Eli had 198 yards. It was acceptable. And for Eli, with an acceptable pass protection, to have the game he did, like you said, I'm going to use the word again, is atrocious. Yeah, I mean, Eli, as a total, if you want to combine all 32 quarterbacks in the league, he's 17th right now in QBR. He's just not having the the, the the season that you know we we would have thought he would have had you know especially coming off back to back you know four thousand plus yard seasons I believe over thirty touchdowns in those as well of course this, yep this is a guy this is a guy you thought that he would be absolutely fine and still trying to find out what is going on you brought up the offensive line maybe that is an issue maybe he feels too pressured and he's trying to get the ball out early but at the same time easy throws easy guys, you know, getting open, and he's just not hitting them. I think what put the cherry on top of his performance was when he could have iced the game, rolling out of the pocket, easy throw. We've seen him make it. Odell Beckham Jr. had a five-yard gap between himself and his defender, and he basically skipped the ball to him. I mean, that's just not the Eli that we are used to. So now let's move on to the receivers. As far as they go, do you think that they did their job or they sort of to blame for the offensive struggles that occurred uh, Sunday morning? You know, it's tough to pin this loss on the receivers. I don't think they had such a bad game, but I just don't think they did enough to help this offense. You, When you have Odell Beckham Jr., Sterling Shepard, and Victor Cruz, that's great. But then when you lose, it's not so great because you have to look there and wonder why why did these guys only connect with Eli Manning and allow Eli to have 198 yards when you've got a tree, a receiving trio this good, it should, it should have Eli above 300 yards against a Rams defense without Tremaine Johnson. And I think the issue is that these guys aren't separating from their, from their coverage. And to talk about Victor Cruz for a second, He drops a ball on the sideline in the beginning of the game, and it happened against the Ravens, too. It was kind of in the same context of each game, respectively. And it kind of just kills the momentum of the offense. They started getting something going. They picked up a first down, the Giants, and it was second down, and Eli throws it to Cruz. And if Cruz brings the ball in, he's got daylight up the sideline 
it's going to easily be a first down and more. But, again, Cruz takes his eyes off the ball, looks upfield, and he's too focused on running before he's focused on catching the ball, and it just bounces right off his hands, kills the offense's momentum, and the Giants end up punting the ball. Like I said, it happened against the Ravens, and I wouldn't be surprised if it keeps happening because it doesn't. I don't see why it would change unless Cruz starts focusing on catching the ball before anything else. I mean, you can't, you can't think about running until mm-hmm. you have caught the ball. Yeah. Well, looking at their re- receptions, Victor Cruz actually, you know, leading the team in yards. All three of them, Cruz, Beckham, and Shepard, have five catches each. Cruz leading the team in yards with 55. Odell Beckham Jr. having 49, and Shepard with 32. And then after that, it goes Jennings and Ty and so on, getting two catches and, you know, a catch each. But Eli Manning only throwing 37 times. We're used to him seeing at least 40 times, but they were – or 20, including Eli Manning trying to run, 20 rushing attempts. And now we go to the running backs. Now this is something that we will probably finish off the show with because it is, it is a lot to talk about. We haven't seen much of anything in the run game. Rashad Jennings, who is supposed to be the lead back, is 31 years old. Okay, but now you have Bobby Rainey and Paul Perkins who have played okay, and, you know, they're, they're seeing limited time. They're sort of swapping roles with each other. And then you also have Orleans Darquois, who didn't get any game time in the past two games, but he was, you know, used a lot in that, Red, in that Redskins game, especially in the second half after Shane Vereen fumbled twice. So, you know, let's talk about this run game from Sunday first. You know, anything that impressed you at all or, you know, to me, I wasn't impressed at all. I, I just thought it was completely bad. Yeah, bad is definitely an understatement. And like you said, we have some time, so I'm going to I'm going to kind of give a detailed analysis, I'll try to at least of each of these guys cuz I'm yeah. having a hard time seeing what the Giants are thinking here. You start out with Rashad Jennings, like you said, 31 years old. He is the lead back and I have not seen anything special out of this guy. He's just he runs up the gut every time and it seems like he gets stuffed every time. Now, I want to start yep. before I start to uh, criticize each of these guys by saying that the run protection is horrendous, worse than the pass protection. I mean, the pocket just coll- – the line collapses every time these guys try to run up the middle. And so you've got to definitely take a little bit of blame off of these running backs. But now that I've gotten that out of the way, I'm going to talk about the running backs individually for a second, like I said. Rashad Jennings, like I said, 31 years old, and no cuts – doesn't look shifty whatsoever. He seems like a ground-and-pound type of running back, and that's not what he was when the Giants brought him here from Oakland. And if that's not what he is anymore, so be it. And maybe he'll have a role as a third-down back, or when they're in the, on the goal line, he'll pound the ball in. But it does not seem like he should be the every-down back right now. Then you move on to Bobby Rainey. Shifty running back. He's really impressed me. The Giants brought him here to be a special teams player, and he has been a lot more than that. He's by far been the most impressive out of these guys when he's gotten gameplay, but that's the thing. McAdoo doesn't want to give him gameplay because he's got Paul Perkins then. He's got Orleans Darkwa. Perkins now getting more time, and McAdoo did say this week that Perkins will be more involved post-bye week, but... I don't, I'm, I'm just having a hard time understanding why when Perkins comes in to both this game, even the Vikings game, he has that long reception. 
Even the Ravens game, he plays well. And he comes into this game, and he averages the most yards per carry. And at the same time, he got less than a third of the carries that Rashad Jennings did. I'm having a hard time understanding why McAdoo is so hesitant to play Perkins, and do you have any idea why, or are you with me on this one? Uh, I honestly have, have no idea. I mean, I, f- I feel like, you know, McAdoo is just kind of playing him because he was a draft pick, and, you know, you want you want to play play your draft picks. But at, at the same time, you got to watch what this guy can do. You drafted him because he was an all-around back. Obviously, you know, blocking has been a little bit of an issue for him, and I think maybe that's why he's been sidelined. Because if if you are a running back in this league, you have to block, plain and simple. And maybe he's just kind of figuring that out on his own now, how much, you know, time you have to focus on blocking. And I think maybe that's why McAdoo hasn't benched, you know, for a significant, significant excuse me, amount of time. But you really have to look at what this guy can do. He only had four four attempts rushing but he had 12 yards his longest was 10 and you know Jennings gets 13 and 25 yards Paul Perkins is a playmaker and I and I hope that he is used like you said you know post bye week a lot more because I think that he can do a lot more for this offense and just to add one more thing about Perkins I'm going to talk about his college career a little bit he had over 3,200 yards from scrimmage in his last two years at UCLA. Exactly. He had 26 touchdowns during those two seasons and averaged over 6.1 yards per play. So you see this guy who had an incredible college career. You draft him in the fifth round, which I thought was a steal, and he's getting hardly any game time. So I think the Giants are definitely holding this guy back. I think he has the potential to be the every-down back. It's just a matter of time until McAdoo trusts the process and lets Perkins do his thing. Yeah, and I, and I mean, you know, last season as well, I forget what week it was, but, you know, Rashad Jennings was leading the league in yards, you know, yards per game. So he can do it. it we just haven't seen it at all. So, again, McAdoo's going to have to figure something out because looking at the overall rushing yards per game by a team, the Giants are in dead last. Who's up top? Dallas. So you really have to get that running game going, and you really have to figure that out. Now, how do you figure that out? Justin, do you have a fixing point? Do you have a general fixing point for this team to get that run game going post bye week? Yeah. Also, one guy I forgot to mention, Orleans Darkwa, hasn't gotten any game time in the past two games. I forgot to mention him, which is, I think, a disgrace, considering he has looked like the best running back out of anyone on this team this season when he's gotten time. So that, I think, is just a horrible game plan by McAdoo. But now to talk about point here, what the Giants can do to fix their problem running the ball. First off, like I said earlier, you need better run protection. And someone's got to knock on Reese's door and let him know that even though the Browns said they're not trading Joe Thomas, they kind of say that every year and end up, it ends up that he's on the block at the trade deadline. Joe Staley Mm -hmm. seems to be available in San Fran. So I definitely think Reese should be making some phone calls here as we're at the midway, midway through the season. And as far as the running backs go, like I said, I wouldn't mind to see Rashad Jennings become that ground and pound short yard back. Paul Perkins. I, I, I don't, I think it's too early to make him that every down back just generally, but I definitely yeah. think he should, at the very least, be getting split carries with Rainey. And it seems like Darkwa is just totally out of the game plan at this point, which 
I don't understand. I would love to see them bring him back in, but considering that he hasn't gotten any game time the past two weeks, it's hard for me to say that's the fix because it just seems unrealistic for that to happen. So overall, I'd like to eventually see Perkins become the every down back with Rashad Jennings getting some third down, short yard game time. But I mean, until the run protection gets better, I don't think I don't think it matters who you put in this backfield because they're going to run up the gut and just get stuffed every time. The Giants beat podcast telling the front office to make some calls for some offensive linemen. We got about a minute thirty left, and obviously we need to talk about how the Giants cut Josh Brown on Tuesday. Justin, real quick, after all that's happened, do you think the Giants handled this well? Uh, That's a big no. I think they handled this really poorly. First, just to say, you do have to consider that there is a process to cutting a player. It's harder than than just saying Josh Brown is cut. But... I still think they handled this really poorly. They Mara comes out and on the, Mike Francesa's talk show says that he knew to an extent about what, what had happened with Josh Brown specifically in him, with him abusing his wife. And for him to say that and then acknowledge that the Giants knew that when they re-signed him is pretty sad. It's, a, I think, both dumb on the Giants' part from a football aspect and it's just dumb from making your team look bad. And the NFL, again, handles another domestic violence case poorly, and the Giants don't do anything to help. I think this was a big failure on the part of the Giants' front office, and they should really be ashamed at the fact that in an organization that has so much pride that they would handle a situation like this so poorly. That's all the time we have today on the Giants Beat Podcast. Make sure you check the thegiantsbeat.com and all of the Scout Media Network's uh, apps and their different websites to check out more sports news. We will be back next week. Obviously, Giants not playing by week preview, so to speak. Justin, Scott, we'll see you next time.